Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. Today we're podcasting in front of a live audience of designers here at the International Interior Design Show, Decorex in London. Welcome to the Design Talks Theatre here at Decorex. We're delighted to be here and to be joined by so many people here today. My name is Jeff Hayward, and I'm here with my co-presenter, Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tesuta Interiors. So, the working life of an interior designer is rarely, if ever, entirely plain sailing. As we strive to deliver projects on time that meet our clients' brief as well as their budget, there are frequent bumps in the road to navigate, pitfalls to avoid, and unforeseen difficulties that arise which challenge the most resourceful and most creative thinking designers. So, how do interior designers manage to deal with what's thrown at them to make sure they solve the seemingly insoluble and still emerge triumphant against all the odds to the delight of all parties and especially the delight of their clients? Let's find out. Welcome to the interior design business. Now, we're joined by two very special guests today from the internationally renowned design firm, Paolo Machino. Please welcome Philip Vergalen and Heather Lindahl. Uh, before we begin, Philip, can you just please introduce yourself and Paolo Machino? My name is Philip. I'm part owner and, and partner of Paolo Moschino. I run the interior design studio. Paolo does the shops and the trade and, and, and all of that. With me is my colleague, senior designer in my team, Heather Lindahl. Hello, thank you. I've been working with Philip for 14 years now. Um, lots of amazing projects, lots yeah. of amazing experiences, and hopefully we can share those with you. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit. First of all, how big is the studio, and what sort of projects does Paolo Moschino undertake? We do a variety of projects all over the world. We do commercial and residential. For the moment, we have three hotels. We have about... 20 residential projects. Heather is what we call our, the Queen of the Dominican Republic because she does so many projects in Dominican Republic and we have projects uh, all over the world um, and boats and planes and what have you. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And we are about 17 architects in the studio. Fantastic. So then, um, Heather, can you tell me from all those many, many projects, what's the most fraught, difficult project you've ever worked on and why? <laughs> In very, very early years of the company, we were working on a project in London that was meant to have a, we call it an iceberg. It was meant to have a double basement, Olympic-sized pool, below that a squash court. Uh, needless to say, there was a structural engineering calculation fail, and one of the buildings next door, there's a bit of subsidence and started to tip into the property. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, another structural engineer to reinforce that building and hold it up for uh, a few years or so while they reconfigure the basement, reinforce everything, and then finally the house was built. Yeah. But an uh, interesting start to a project. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I don't quite know what to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a different one or do you? No, no, that's actually, that was the low point. Of that was <laughs> a low point, yes. Yeah, yeah. Quite literally fact, a low point it, if it you're was, two levels was, below ground. It was so bad that the, the damage to the neighboring um, uh, properties was so bad that the client ended up buying them because it was cheaper to buy them than to 
compensate the, You're the, kidding. The, no, no, where, no. where was this? Where was this? In, in central London. London. <laughs> and it was still cheaper to buy the two next yeah, door properties. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, it was in the end, it was a very, it added a couple of years to the lifetime of the project, but it was a very successful project. Yep. So Fantastic. I'm, I'm very happy. I almost daren't ask, what happened to the poor engineer? He, uh, we never saw him again. He never <laughs> saw him again. <laughs> Probably buried under some concrete somewhere. <laughs> and how, how, how loved were you by the clients at the end of that project for the interior design work you did? I'd say very loved. But, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, we're, we're lucky. Most, I, I would say at least half of our work is return clients. We do, I mean, when I say Queen of the Dominican Republic, um, that's one of our uh, most important clients. We have done a total of, I believe, 12 houses around the world, uh, four boats, one plane, and we're still going. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Fantastic. So in all of that, mm. what's the craziest client request that you've ever had to deal with? Well, I had two. Uh, one was actually from a very good friend of mine, and she had a, bought a house in central London. And she came to brief me how she wanted the house to look. And she hadn't prepared anything. She just gave me a peacock feather and said, look at all the colors in this. That's the colors I want in my house. So it was a bit of a crazy brief. But there's a worse one. <laughs> for, an apart for a penthouse in Miami, my client sent me a YouTube video, which was an hour long and it was of an elderly lady playing the flute. And I thought, I listened to it, and I thought, it's going to come, it's going to come. You know, the, the briefing is going to come. For an hour, I listened to this woman <laughs> playing the flute, and that was the, my briefing for, for, the, for the house. Took a little bit of interpretation. But uh, those are my, my two... Um, craziest um, I'm absolutely stunned. How, how would you address that Susie if you were given a, a flute recital a flute, a flute as your playing brief. elderly lady I'm not sure what was, was what was the type of the piece of music what sort of music was it oh very very sort of calm and calm. peace yeah and I suppose you just have to sort of take away the feeling of the music don't you and yeah. try and interpret that's, that's, back in that's the design. what he said to me yeah. but you know I, I was hoping that at least there would have been a color or something something to go <laughs> something. on <laughs> and, and the peacock feather how did that evolve into a finished project as well that must have been quite challenging that it, it was very i mean what i'm i'm proud about it was not one of my biggest projects but i think it's one of the projects that most reflects the personality of the client i mean she she's she's a bomb of energy she's she's uh, and and you walk into that house and there's so many colors and so so many things going on i mean it's her it, i can't tell her name but it's her <laughs> you, you can see and that that's that's what we try to achieve in most of our, in all of our projects, um, we don't build houses for ourselves. We build houses for our clients. So, um, understanding personality and the objectives and the motivations of our clients is, is absolutely crucial to get a good uh, result. Indeed, but yet yeah, minimal briefs, <laughs> wouldn't you say? <laughs> she had a funny story as well. Oh, come on, go on. <laughs> Mine's a little bit different. We were already into a project and I get a phone call from the client who is almost in tears because for a couple generations in the family they had this polar bear. A, that a she real now, life. Big a real polar, polar, bear. polar bear. But it's taxidermy stuff. Oh okay. Sorry. But, but they had it and they were, it was a family thing so they had this and I get a phone call in a panic one day 
and she tells me, my daughter has brought her friend home from school who brought her puppy. It's chewed the nose off the polar bear. You have to help me fix it. I used to someone ask me, where do I find a light fitting or a piece of like to fix the polar bear? So funny enough, about a month earlier, I'd passed a taxidermy shop up in up, um, North London. Never noticed it before, but did that day and I thought, I can call someone. So this guy was super helpful. I can fix it. Just bring the bear. Just throw it in the back of the car and bring me the bear. <laughs> no, sir, it's, it's a polar bear. Yeah, just put it in the car, bring it to my shop. I can fix this for you. No, no, it's not going to fit in a car. <laughs> it's a polar bear. I'd have to hire movers to move it. Can you come to the house? No, no, just bring it to the shop. It's a full-size polar bear. Finally, it clicked. And he went, oh, oh, that won't even fit in my shop. I can't help you now. But I did find someone that did um, like cinema makeup and kind of pieces who came to the house and recreated this bear's nose for the client. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm absolutely speechless. I don't know where you go with that. Um, <laughs> and what is the weirdest thing that you've ever designed and built? Um, the weirdest thing um, we, I ever designed was a flying bed for um, um, a penthouse in Miami. A flying bed? Is that even physically possible? It, 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 it has two enormous wings. And we did it together with uh, a company called Manu Mani. They became quite famous because they um, created, they designed the first tent for Burning Man. And so um, they um, are very good in 3D printing. And so we had a, yeah. a, um, a bed with um, wings that span about eight, eight meters. Uh, so that <laughs> And in the end, it looks good, but it's, I mean, it's a weird, um, yeah, it looks very um, graphic. It's not Disney, it's not, you know, My Little Pony uh, wings. They, they are, they are um, a little bit more graphic, but, but, um, yeah. And are they fixed? Do they move in some way? No, or no, no, they no, don't they move, just, but they do light up. They do light up. They light up. What were the wings made of, can I ask? Of, um, um, it's a combination of 3D printing and, and very thin plywood. Right. That 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 is curved. So right. it, 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 yeah, it's difficult <laughs> to explain. And did the client specifically ask you for a flying bed? No, he asked me to work together with Manu Mani because he um, had admired their work at Burning Man, and so I knew it was going to be wacky, uh, you know. Um, and and that's what that's we came what up it was. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Does that compete with anything you've ever done, Heather? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. What about you, Susie? Have you ever had any weird stuff oh, that you've been asked so to do? So many. Um, maybe. Okay, so I had a client years ago who actually, she's a very well-known sculptor, again, no names, but she was completely anti the idea of having any sort of plastic toilet seats in her Chelsea home. And she said to me, what else can we make toilet seats out of? And I'm thinking, well, plastic or wood or, you know. Anyway, she decided she wanted, she was having very expensive marble put around the bath, so she wanted to have a matching loose seat. So she got the stonemason to make her an octagonal marble loose seat. And we explained to her very carefully that this was going to be impossible to keep clean, A, because marble's porous, and B, because you can't attach hinges to the back of it because the hinges will snap off as soon as you, it'll just break. <laughs> um, but no, no, she absolutely wanted her, her um, octagonal marble loose seat and we had to work out a way to stick it to the toilet bowl, so we ended up using Velcro. I mean, it was 
pretty <laughs> gross, actually. But anyway, she was, she was, she was quite pleased with it. <laughs> I don't know how long she lived with it before yeah. she got rid of it. <laughs> that is a totally niche market. Yeah, 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 very yeah, niche, yeah, yeah. very niche indeed. Yeah. And when we pointed out to her that it was particularly it was going to be a problem if she had any boys in her using her bathroom, um, she said, "Oh no, no, she was never, ever, ever going to have a man in her bathroom." So you know, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> My next question is really around things that you might have uncovered on your project. So, is there a strange or a, a, a terrible or a wonderful thing that you've ever found when working on a project? Um, well, I haven't found any dead bodies or anything, so thank God for that. What a relief. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's two things. One is actually not a project, but it's a, it's a real story. Uh, my mother bought an 18th, 18th century house. One of the cellars was actually blocked. And so she decided to open it again. And so she dug underneath the house and um, fell upon a safe that was full of silver. Ooh. <laughs> my mother, my mother, called the previous owner and said, oh, I'm so sorry, you forgot something. And she gave it to the previous <laughs> owner who never knew it was there. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so she gave it away, she gave <laughs> it the buried treasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, um, Heather is doing a, a huge colonial uh, project in Santo Domingo. And there we did find a lot of uh, old archaeological valuable pieces. Um, mm. which was valuable for them because, you know, this is, this is the oldest house in the in, uh, Dominican Republic. It, um, it used to be the, the Spanish Inquisition. Um, oh, wow. But so um, whilst it was um, interesting and, and nice, it also set us back two years because instead of the designers, the archaeologists came in and started doing everything with a with the brush, and that took yeah. two years to uncover everything. So relics dating, what, from the 15th, 14th yeah. century? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. What, what sort of things? They have little bits of um, pottery, um, different elements of it. It evolved through multiple different phases. At one point, it was a tannery. So mm. they uncovered, I think there's 17 wells on the site, because there's aquifers that run underneath it. They found um, some, I don't know what you call them, but the old stone wheels where the donkey would walk around and crush things when it was um, a bell factory. Yeah, it milk. was a bell factory yeah. at one yeah, point, too. Yeah. Um, and it, a lot of pottery. A, yeah, a lot of pottery. A lot of pottery. Yeah. A lot of pottery. Yeah. pottery. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And some of the old original tiles that they had put on the yeah, walls yeah. they found when they were cleaning things up. So yeah. you had some of the original elements that came out in finishes and then yeah. just some kind of artifacts from the use Anything of Anything that directly related it to the Spanish Inquisition, dare I ask? There is well, that is the stone uh, <laughs> above the door that okay. has the symbol of the Spanish Inquisition. That's why we know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But no torture instruments. No, 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 no thumb screws. No, Only no, if no. I don't finish the project. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then, can you tell me, what's the scariest thing that's ever happened to either of you on a site? Oh, that is, without doubt, we did a project in Knightsbridge, and this is pre difficulty, I mean, this, this client was so lucky, he got a three-story basement, and each floor was six meters high. So we went down 18 meters. Health and safety clearly was something that the contractor had absolutely <laughs> no patience for. So Heather and I used to go up and down the ladders that literally were like 
tied together with a bit of twine, and they so they give they give. And they're wooden, and they yeah, like bounce. They yeah. bounce, and you, you <laughs> look down, and you see each 80 meters from the knee to. There was a point that Heather said, "No, I'm not doing it anymore. No. I'm not going up those ladders anymore." So that was you. scary. That was scary. How is the health and safety regime in the Dominican Republic? Uh, <laughs> pretty sure it doesn't exist. Okay. Um, there's there's things that I've seen that actually I like. You need, you need to ask them to stop, or I just need to walk away because what I can see about to happen is petrifying. <laughs> I've had people standing up over exposed um, rebar, leaning over that with a sledgehammer trying to break through a concrete floor, <laughs> and all I can think is if you slide, yeah, you're going to be impaled. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Petrifying, I have to but be honest. But that's what we yeah, haven't like, had exactly. any um, accidents. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you see any terrifying <laughs> things on site? Oh, there have been odd ones. We, the, the worst thing that ever happened to us was, uh, you, I've probably told you this story before, that we were working on a house in central London um, right by Marble Arch that had been hit by a bomb during the Second World War. And we were finding, as we were renovating it, we were finding all these weird repairs that had been done. Unbeknownst to us, the ceiling in the ballroom had been repaired with concrete and the builders were using it as their staff welfare. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, there was this almighty crash and this entire ceiling came down and all the furniture, all the chairs and the tables were just flattened. There was just nothing left. And it because it happened at three o'clock in the afternoon, thank God nobody was in there. If the ceiling had come down at midday, there probably would have been 20 people killed. It was just horrific. Mm. That's yeah. absolutely yeah. That's horrific. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. the, the other one, we had a, we tried to get an enormous piece of air conditioning plant and a big glass screen to cover the top of a staircase up seven, up seven floors with a crane parked in the street. We'd waited three months for the crane to, um, to get a road closure permit so we could put the crane there. And it was a terribly, terrible windy day and as they got this big glass screen up, it started catching and swinging like a sail. So the crane driver downstairs is going, I have to stop, I have to abort. But of course, if we give it up, we're going to wait another three months for a road closure permit. So they kept going with it. And, but that, again, was one of the most terrifying things. Because mm. if we'd lost the crane, we'd have... God yeah. knows what would have happened. I, mean, I, I would say that <laughs> it's character building, right? It's, for an it's interior yeah. designer. Oh, yeah. To have those experiences. So. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you feel you learnt a lot through, through that sort of project? Yes, you do. You do. Because some of them are early mistakes. I remember for a basement, I designed a three meter long or five meter long solid bronze bar. And it looked beautiful and spectacular. Never thought, never even crossed my mind, how am I going to get that in there? <laughs> so of course, it, did, it didn't go through the door. It was far too big and it had to go to the basement. Thank God we had a light well. And so we had to hire the crane to bring this bar that weighs a ton uh, over the house, and you have a guy with the, on the other side with a walkie-talkie going like left, 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 right, right, and I swear to God, if we had made it one centimeter bigger, it wouldn't have gone into the light well. So you go like sometimes you need to have a bit of luck. But yeah. So you learn, you learn. Yeah, you that. do, you do. What yeah. about you, Heather? What, what, what's character building for you? I was there on the day of the crane while uh, Paolo <laughs> and Philip were somewhere else. Um, that was character building for me. <laughs> I remember calling them saying, never again, never, never again. I was petrified. Um, yeah. The art of delegation. <laughs> yeah. What's made you laugh most on site? What's been the funniest thing, Philip? Something really silly. Um, I, I was doing an apartment in central London, big, big apartment, and um, 
the drawing room was finished. Everything else was still a building site. Uh, there are two bronze cabinets in, in, the, in, in, the, in the living room and in the drawing room. And for some reason, somebody decides that the contents of those two cupboards can come and be installed. Whilst there's, you know, the plumber and the electrician and everybody else is still working on the, the building site. Headley's got it wrong. And yes, they brought everything for the, those two cupboards, but they also brought six invaluable Greek antiquities in terracotta that are now on a building site. So I say to the mate, who's not the sharpest tool in the box, I said, put them on the mantelpiece, close the door of the drawing room, and put the sign, do not enter. I'll come tomorrow, I'll take care of it. Following morning, I get a call from the builder, and they're all standing outside the apartment, because instead of putting it on the door of the living room, <laughs> she put it on the door of the, of the apartment. Do not enter. So, <laughs> she was taking no chances. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I must say, that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. That was a Benny Hill moment. I bet, I bet. Mm. Heather, anything for you that's, that's made you enjoy life as an interior designer more? <laughs> I actually had, I had an experience in the Dominican Republic that made me laugh. Uh, one day I was going to go out and select some marble for the client's house. Uh, my builder says, I know exactly where to take you. This guy, he's the best, best on the island. He knows everything. He'll have exactly what you need. Okay, sounds great. Let's go talk to him. We get there, explain to him what I want. He says, yes, like this piece that we have here. Exactly like that. Follow me. I get in the truck with him. We drive into the jungle. You drive into the jungle? Drive into the jungle. And he says, see those big rocks over there? I think they're the ones we want. Come with me. We're climbing up trees <laughs> on top of the boulders, at which point he's like, see that one? It has the markings you're going to want. We'll have them come and pick this boulder out, and we'll start cutting it for you. It's Whole different way of marble sourcing. <laughs> that Never is sourcing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was quite an interesting experience, yeah. And I, I found it amusing. People didn't believe me when I was sending back photos of me up trees, looking at boulders in the jungle. And, yeah. and what was the final product? How did they look in the interior? They're spectacular. They actually, they turned out perfect. I, and you just, I just had to trust this expert that he knew from looking at these big boulders that inside is exactly what I wanted. And it was perfect, absolutely Amazing. perfect. Wow. Another funny thing that happened to Heather, and she knows the details better, but we were asked to, to design um, a cinema, again, Dominican Republic. And Philip, known for making life easy, says, oh yes, we're gonna do this. They have this um, carpet in Paris, Codimat, and it's all, sort of uh, leaves, banana leaves. That's perfect for, for, for Dominican Republic. So we'll have it made in Paris, ship it, and... So I know it's been shipped. <laughs> I keep waiting for it to arrive at the house. Uh, we're, weeks are ticking by. I know the client's coming soon and deadline's around the corner. No one can tell me where it is. And then finally, so now I'm no longer relying on the shippers out of Paris. I'm calling locally to shippers I've worked with. And they've been able to find for me that the carpet came into Santo Domingo, never made it off the boat, and then was shipped on to Haiti. But no one could find my carpet in Haiti. But then they found it. But because there's no paperwork, they couldn't return it to me. And it just so happens that at the same time, there's some kind of conflict at the border, so there's no crossing of vehicles between Haiti. the Dominican and Haiti. So my client's administrator arranged for one of the house, um, the men that helps around the house, to rent a van, to drive to the border, and wait till the morning for the carpet to be handed over. But again, the border shut down, so that exchange didn't happen. I couldn't fly it back, because there's only domestic flights and no commercial flights. So they ended up flying the carpet to Miami, 
Now it's the holiday season. It got bumped off of two flights, finally landed back in the Dominican Republic. It arrived at the house 24 hours before Philip arrived. <laughs> and the next day, I wouldn't even let him see it because, of course, they installed it. But also that night, the sink to the bar broke and it flooded. Yeah. But these phone calls about this rug lost in Haiti, it was, you, can't, you can't make it up. <laughs> it, it needed its own passport. Yeah. It's done more traveling than me, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds like it. <laughs> totally, totally sounds like it. Right, so I think my, this might, the answer to the, this question might, be, might almost have been that answer. Mm. What is the worst piece of news you've ever had to deliver to a client? <laughs> no. Yes, Philip, you remember your rug? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I had a... <clears throat> The alternative solution was, let me just get a, a, a plain black rug, something dark that works, will dress the cinema. It won't be ready for this trip, but it will be the next time. And she was not going to have it. Absolutely. That palm leaf rug, thanks to Philip, genius <laughs> make it in Paris idea, <laughs> had to be there. Um, it was extremely stressful, but amazing. And it came together in the end. And I think I finally got all the sofas, furniture, everything installed. 12 hours before the client landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was... Well, uh, no. well <laughs> what is important, whether it's bad news or, or good news, is um, never lie. Never lie. Because don't try to underplay. If it's a disaster, say it's a disaster. Uh, don't underplay it because you raise the expectation of the client and it, it's going to be a problem that, that, that continues growing. So keep calm. There's always a solution. You go through the toilet bowl of emotions, which is like total panic, <laughs> and then calm, and then you find the solution. Philip, yeah. you're, you're, what you need to do, as you just said, is, is make sure you always tell the client, tell them quickly. Yeah. If it's gone wrong, yeah. tell them that day. Don't, yeah. don't wait. Don't yeah. let, don't it, don't let don't it linger. No, 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 no exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. Gather your courage in both hands. Because and in the end, they will even be grateful that you find the solution, yeah. so, rather than focusing on, on, on the problem. Yeah. OK, so what about drawings? most disastrous misreading <laughs> of a drawing. <laughs> or a specification. Well, I was going to say, clearly my Dominican Republic stories are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they were mine. They keep giving. Um, <laughs> yes, they do. So I think we were kind of reminiscing on this the other day. We were working on a, a property for the client that had, in theory, four structures. One was kind of an entertainment room, one was guest rooms, one was kind of outdoor seating, and the other one cover for parking. And I fly in and out to see this, and I show up, and <laughs> They have the roofs on all four. Two of the buildings are up. And something really looks wrong. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, but this one's taller than the other ones. It actually dug down, and this one building was taller than the others. And the um, project manager insisted to me that was for drainage when it rained. This was the entertainment room, not the car park. I said, if you're going to drain across a building, you drain across the gazebo or the car park, not into a room. <laughs> no, no, it's for drainage. Should we build it that way? Can we just admit it's a mistake? Nope. I assure you it's for drainage. Finally, the contractor comes on site. He's like, yes, you're right. It's a mistake. We, but we can fix it. We'll just pour concrete and we'll bring the base up. And we were, the roofs were fine. So it was, we could solve it. Yeah. But um, they definitely misread, I think, thought that one misread wrong. the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to add to that, Philip? Any, any horror drawings that you've seen? No, I mean, you, you, know, you, you become um, accustomed to certain things. The fact that um, the window is not perfectly square or is slightly crooked, well, welcome to the Dominican. You know, you have to do it three times until they get it straight. But, you know, 
You, you don't panic over those things yeah. anymore. But what about in what about in UK and other not Dominican Republic? Yeah. For me, the most difficult place to work to, to date has been Florida. I think um, the combination bet between stupid prices and and bad quality is absolutely what you don't want. Yeah. And poor so and poor I, quality tradesmen. Yeah. Because very, that's very, the thing, I mean, if you're, if you're producing good information yeah. but the tradesman's not yeah. reading it, then yeah. that's where the mistakes come yeah. in. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. The execution is so poor. It's very poor. It's very poor. And then they talk to you about, oh, this most beautiful Italian doors that cost, you know, their weight in gold. Well, you go to B&Q here, it's exactly the same door, <laughs> so, you know. Worst FF&E disaster. Something that's gone wrong, well, you've covered a couple, but something else that's gone wrong with a piece of furniture or it's, some FF&E. It's not necessarily something that went wrong, because, but one of the challenges that we all have, I guess, as interior designers, is that um, we work with fairly wealthy clients, but, uh, and they're willing to pay, but they're not willing to wait. They're becoming increasingly impatient. And, and with, with the situation as it is, actually, lead times become longer. So they become more and more impatient. So I had this one Italian client who, um, who I told that to make a sofa is 12 weeks from receipt, we know this so by heart, from receipt of fabric, 12 weeks. And he went absolutely ballistic and he said, no, and you need to negotiate and I'll pay twice as much and blah, blah. No, no, this is, you know, you need to go into the queue and that, that, that's how it is. To prove me wrong, he bought an upholstery company. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you know, you own the company. <laughs> you can make them faster. Charged, yeah, basically. yeah, but he did prove me wrong. <laughs> That's extreme client behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything on your side, Heather? Nothing big that stands out. There's always a little something little that happens. Thing. There's always, you know, either somehow they've delivered two meters of 20 meters of custom made fabric that has a crease in it. What do I do? You know, there's always something, but I, I think they're all manageable. Well, yeah. Normally, it's the same thing. If you're just honest with the client, mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all, all of it's come out okay in the end. Yeah. Sometimes that's <laughs> a bit of pulling teeth we, to get things to happen faster. Yeah. We, had, we, had, yeah, a, we yeah. had a good one recently. We had a chest of drawers that blew up. Oh, that blew up. <laughs> yeah, um, we had a, we had a, it was a very expensive piece. So it's a, a, a beautiful piece of furniture that is completely encased in a bespoke glass box. Mm. And when it was delivered, we weren't happy with the finish on the corners. And so they <laughs> took it away and they were fixing the finishes. And they had, a, they had a CCTV camera actually in the factory. So you could see this factory, you could see this poor man polishing the corner of this thing. And all of a sudden, it must have been the um, frame was stressing the glass because this whole thing just, all the glass panels just exploded. So he got the fright of his life, kind of fell over backwards. <laughs> but because it had been captured on film, we were able to actually send the film to the client and say, look what just happened to your chest of drawers. Because oh I don't think she'd have ever believed us had we not had this, this evidence. Anyway, yeah. it just took them, and it took them weeks to rebuild it. Weeks, weeks and weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. good. So, okay, go. contractors. How, how have you dealt with contractors over the years? What stories stand out? Any advice for our audience on dealing with challenging contractors? I find, actually, I don't think that the contractors have necessarily been challenging, but sometimes we're maybe not speaking the same language. Okay. <laughs> but there's always a good relationship. But I, was, um, I did have once, and it actually makes me laugh, a contractor called me and says, I've got the, the knobs for the wardrobe. How am I meant to fit them? And I'm sitting on the phone thinking, well, with the screw. 
Yeah, but how do I fit them with the screw that was supplied with them? But the doors are mirror, yes, and? And then finally it occurs to me, Kevin, is your question, there's mirror on the doors and you have to drill it? Yeah, how am I gonna do this? Kevin, you do realize about two weeks ago, you put screws in the holes that are already drilled so you could open those doors. You can fit these knobs. And all of a sudden the penny dropped. He's like, oh, yes, yes I can. <laughs> um, so sometimes I think it's just a maybe miscommunication mm. or something lost in translation. But overall, mm. I, think, I think it's extremely important to have good relationships yeah. with your contractors. I've always briefed my team to make sure they have good relationships with the contractors. Yeah. There's always mistakes. And if you have a good relationship, and you forgot to put the socket in that corner, you can just say, Ali, come. <laughs> Please, go on, do me a favor. <laughs> do me a favor. If you have a bad relationship, you have to go to the client and say, oh, we forgot, and it's going to cost 1,000 pounds to put the socket. So it makes e everybody's life easier if you have good relationships. Do you, do you find that there's some, something we were talking about in the office when I was getting ready to come here today, and do you find that there's a low level of kind of just irritating sexism from contractors? as a woman on building sites? Once you, once you prove yourself, they're okay. But yeah. initially, they look at you and they kind of go, oh yeah. I don't find it as much, but in early days, there was a couple place, or a couple site meetings that I went into and I could, I could feel that they were testing what I knew. And that's fine, because I want to know what they know too. You know, but um, but I, I find it less now. They might try to test her for 30 seconds, but that's <laughs> about as long as her tolerance will be before she will tell them exactly what she thinks. So. Sure do. <laughs> Excellent. So what is the one piece of advice you'd have for our audience when dealing with the trials and tribulations that they may come up against when working as an interior designer? As um, interior designer, very, the way we work, we um, always have the interest of the client at heart. In site meetings, in other meetings, we are the voice of the client. We then, you know, have other separate meetings with the client. So never forget, you're there to rep represent the client and their interests. That's one thing. Um, sometimes, um, because we, we work on, on, on big uh, projects and, and big budgets and whatever, you know, I have somebody in the team coming to me, oh, so I find these beautiful wall lights. I said, how much are they? Oh, $25,000. What? <laughs> <laughs> and they come to, you know, it's not Monopoly money, it's real. Um, so, you know, keep calm. And this was for the maid's room. <laughs> no, no, they're so used to dealing with it. Sure. Oh, no, no, expensive, $25,000. Um, so my... Um, my advice would be know who your client is and always stick to their interest. For me, I think for all of us, the most important thing is that you have happy clients at the end of the day. They're the ones who have trusted you to create a beautiful home or space for them to live in. So um, making sure you deliver, um, making sure hopefully you've met their expectations. Um, we've talked a lot about mistakes and uh, surprises today, but I think at the end of the day, every, there's always a solution to every project. Sometimes you have to take a step back, take a breath. Sometimes a mistake actually brings out a better solution in the end, so. Mm. And just, never stop learning. Yeah. Never stop learning. Yeah. I was wondering, have you ever run into problems with clients about budgets and money? Has that ever presented any issues for you? Yes and no. I have never had a carte blanche project where people say, oh, spend whatever you want. No, that they don't exist. We design to the best of our ability and to reflect the briefing and the personality of our client. 
then inevitably we're above budget. And then the value engineering starts. And you say, okay, what is the priority? Is it this or is it that? Uh, is it the squash court or the hammam? Um, whatever it, it could be. Um, so, we, and we always, in the end, bring it back to, to, to the budget that the client is, is, is comfortable with. Uh, but in the beginning, I don't want to be restricted by that. I just, you know, let your imagination go and, and go crazy, and then you can scale it back. Uh, what about the client who wants everything but actually doesn't have the budget to pay for hardly anything at all? Uh, then you just have to have, to be, have an honest conversation <laughs> with, with that client and, and say that their aspirations are probably not realistic. It's become also recently... Uh, a little bit more difficult because prices have, have gone through the through the roof. Um, you know, things things have, 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 have become so much more expensive, and everybody has the same uh, explanation. Oh, it's the material that's become so much more expensive. Mm. Um, and it's it's all true, but in the end, I need to go to the client and say that you know things are more expensive than they used to be. Yeah. So having a good relationship with the client? It's important. Yeah. Excellent. Round of applause, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, Philip and Heather, for sharing your wonderful stories with us. We could have gone on talking for hours. <laughs> and we hope everyone here enjoyed the show as much as we did. Thank you also to DecorX for hosting us. And we're on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.